My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. mother's womb. A light code is written into your spiral graphic DNA, the totality of brightness in that moment. Your destiny is laser etched and encoded into every fiber optic of your being. This truth set in liquid stone, flowing and ebbing as you plunge into your next stage of dimensionality immersion. A sacred cord of light, a link to your source that tails you through your life like a kite string, tied to your heart, guiding you through the river of earth life back into the eternal sea of creation. Look up to the stars, your distant ancestors, and let them highlight your path home. Here to remind us all of our eternal connection to divine source is Jeff Harmon, Vedic astrologer and gemologist, who joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast to discuss the real matrix that we've forgotten. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with Jeff Harmon. So the celestial influences are just that. That's what astrologers are running around just picking your sun sign, your moon and your ascendant, which it's way more complex than that. So in the Vedic astrology, you can actually see this is a really cool little diagram out of Bhagavad Gita, which shows the etheric white energy leaving from death to rebirth and of course on and on through the incarnations. And most of your ancient religions absolutely have in reincarnation right inside of it. The only one that seemed to throw it out was Rome. Somewhere between the first and the fifth century, they decided to throw the doctrines of reincarnation in the garbage can. And now you're all sinners and you're all going to hell, right? So it's it's really a whole different philosophy because most of the medieval astrologers were outrunning prosecution from the church. <laughs> so a lot of the really good astrology went Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And here we are with Jeff Harmon, who's joining me for the first time here as we ring in the new year uh, to talk about some some uh, of his expertise and possibly what that means for all of us moving forward. But uh, without further ado, Jeff Harmon, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. Thanks. Right on. Yeah. So... 
Mr. Harmon, if I could call you Jeff, I'm I'm curious. If, yeah, sure. If, call me Jeff. Yeah. For folks who may not be familiar with you, if you could tell us a little bit about your background, because I understand you practiced astrology with your mother. And yeah, I did. This is the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. So I reckon that uh, your mother doesn't <laughs> think you're crazy for pursuing this interest. Did it go that far back? I mean, how young were you when you started learning uh, astrology? It, it was in the mid 70s. So I had just started driving at that time. And um, I was a late teenager. And what happened was uh, I actually thought my mother was crazy instead of she thinking I was crazy because um you know, when she first introduced it to me, she was telling me about my girlfriend. She said, you know, this girl may or may not be, you know, the right one for you to get along with. And I would say, OK. And then she'd go into such explicit detail. I'd go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, you know, what are you doing here? And she said, well, I'm using astrology. <laughs> and uh, what was fun was I said, come on, that stuff doesn't work. Right. So instead of she thinking I was crazy, I was questioning her reality on this. And she laughed and she said, well, before you knock it, you know, check it out for First. And I did. And that's when I went, wow, you're right. This is a little bit more than happenstance or chance and all that. So that's how I got into it originally. And that was BC before computers, because, you know, you figure the mid 70s, well, you know, we thought we were cool when the Commodore 164 came out. I actually was a Commodore 64. And then the Commodore 128 came out a little bit after that. Now, just, you know, for anybody listening, that's like 128 megabytes you know that was cool in the mid to late 70s you know now we're talking terabytes you know so it's uh the the power of computers back then was really crazy so we we were actually doing charts by hand which was pretty cool i liked it in fact i was actually doing some of the vedic astrology by hand into the 90s until the um late 90s when computer programs that were pretty good came out doing vedic astrology so that's how i got into it yeah, I, I appreciate. I've heard you you say this in the past. You prefer the analog uh, and and possibly even combining the digital with the analog. But the the style of astrology that you're uh, most familiar with is some of the oldest astrology on the planet. Correct? We have. Uh, I've heard you say Vedic, Chaldean, and Egyptian astrology has influenced uh, yep. your particular uh, method. Yeah. It, it, what, what happened was in the 80s, um, you know, there was a group that was, we call them the uh, three Roberts, Robert Han, Robert Schmidt, and Robert Zolar got together and they were with, it was actually Olivia Barclay in London, England, who with Robert Han, I have to kind of credit, credit Robert Hand here. He was the one who kind of pierced the veil <clears throat> with Olivia Barclay saying to all the astrologers, hey, wait a minute, you know, we got to look at stuff pre-1600s or thereabouts pre-1700s and start looking back into the tradition all the way back to the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Chaldeans, and many of the ancient rabbinical texts. And um, that's what happened. And I was lucky my mother had studied a little bit with Robert Hand. He was one of the teachers she had studied with. And I, I got familiar with him. Many people will know Robert Hand because he wrote probably one of the most classic modern texts, which is called The uh, Planets and Transits. It's a wonderful book because uh, what it does is it allows you to look at transits of planets and to your natal chart and houses. So it's 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 definitely not a traditional one, but it's one that was written in the 70s. That came out right about 76, and I remember I got it then. And um, 
he was it was that whole genre that got me turned into something what is called classical astrology and what we find is there's this rich rich um, deep background all the way back into the Egyptians, the Chaldeans, the Arabians, uh, and the medieval texts. And I mean, some of this stuff clearly goes back solidly to about two, 300 BC. And um, of course, most people have heard of Ptolemy. And Ptolemy is probably one of the more flavishly referred to. He was believed to be an Egyptian. Uh, some people don't know if he was an astrologer or not. There's a lot of speculation on that. And then there's another one fairly close to his time period, which was that he was an Egyptian king that was known as Dorotheus. And those are probably two of the more... I think, uh, solid texts that many of the people refer to as ancient astrology. But if you go back, uh, there seems to be also a lot in the Hebrew as well. In fact, one of the oldest texts that we know is called the Sefer Ratziel, which is named after the Archangel Ratziel. And there's speculation that that thing goes right back to the original creation of humanity. At least the humans we're familiar with. <clears throat> and then, um, the Vedic stuff clearly goes back a long way. Now, there's a lot of dispute. Some people will say, and they're probably right, that many of the more classically quoted Vedantic texts, um, like the Brihad Horashastra, and many of the classic texts that are referred to today, probably aren't much older than somewhere between 1st and 2nd century to maybe 300 BC, if you want to call it that. But there are others that go way farther back. Uh, and that one seems to go into the Nadi astrology. You know, a lot of people use the term Vedic, quote unquote, astrology, but that's kind of a pop term. Its real name is called Jyotisha, and there's several branches of it. Just like you get in the West, there's several branches of Western astrology. You know, you have birth chart astrology. And then you have electional astrology, picking auspicious times to do things. You have interrogation astrology, asking questions. And you have location astrology. We've got those same classifications in the Vedic. They just call them different things. So, yeah, it's it's. and then there's Chinese astrology, too, which is quite profound. All this stuff goes back a long, long ways, and no one's really sure where you know the the misty trail ends but it's definitely a long way back i can tell you that mm, yeah absolutely it seems as long as man has looking been looking up in the sky he's been sort of charting this out and using what we see in the sky to uh make our our you know bearings get our bearings and and sort of even possibly predict what's to come but it seems that uh, astrology has kind of suffered a bit to uh, the pulp tabloid version of it, mm -hmm. and people kind of, you know, equate it to that, and and detrimentally so when you you consider that astro uh, astrology isn't really considered a you know academic pursuit, but. I've heard you say that astronomy and astrology, when you go far back enough, are really not that different. And in fact, were uh, they're one in the same. Yeah. yeah, one in the same thing. So uh, if you could maybe tell us what these sciences, these high sciences were used for uh, by the ancient people, because it seems like 
today it's been watered down quite a bit to only be, you know, uh, frivolous. Uh, oh, yeah. Relations. It's down to love, light and cluelessness now. <laughs> now. Now it's, hey, what's your sun sign? Right. And, you know, there's a big I just you know, I, I tell people listening to go to my uh, YouTube channel. It's Jeff Harmon Astrology or Jeff Harmon Astrologer, either one, you'll get it. And we just came out with a fresh new YouTube channel, probably in the last. Uh, I don't even think we have more than 10, 12 episodes up, but some really good stuff on there about this and um you know subscribe and, and like and then you can also get a um, uh, an update every time we put out new podcasts but wanted to answer that question you know really i think astrology truly fell out of it's it's ancient grace somewhere around the industrial revolution which was the late 1600s middle 1700s and of course that's really when the industrial revolution began and when you start getting into the older astrology, it's totally different in its whole philosophical tenets from modern astrology. I mean, today everyone says you are your astrology. The ancients never said that. Uh, in general, they would say, no, your soul having a physical experience. And I don't think there's a better place than Vedic astrology and Nadi astrology particularly to look at that because what it really gets into is they knew your soul was created hundreds of dimensions above where the universes are. And there's actually a diagram that I could put up if you if you let me share a screen here that that would really, I, I think, help elucidate that even more. Can I can I share a screen here? You absolutely can. Yeah, go for it. All right, good. I'm going to do that. So, yeah, good. So you got me sharing here. So what I'm going to do is jump over here to one of my most favorite diagrams, which is this guy right here. And this probably really shoots a hole in all the love, light, and clueless modern astrology the best. Why? Because first off, I'm going to do a little circling here, a little annotating, but I'm also going to kind of explain why I think the ancients were right. But here's what's really cool about this is if you look, whatever, you know, belief you have in God, spirituality, what have you, uh, it's pretty safe to say that God is above that, right? It's way at the top of the pyramid here. So you can see these, I'm just getting my computer here to work right there. We go. You can see right here, God, this thing I just won't do it. But um, what's happening is there we go. Now I'm getting somewhere. So you can see right here, there's these little Ain Ain Soft Ors. Well, that's believed to be the light from divinity that starts to fade down into what we would call the physical realms or the denser realms might be a better word. And um What's interesting is this word here called absolute is a strange word in Hebrew that means where the divine emanations of souls are happening. It's believed your soul might be created somewhere right around here. Other philosophies are your soul is created on this entire tree and there's different soul fragments. And there's no astrology up here. This is really, really divine and really, really high stuff, far above any of the material worlds that we would ever relate to. And they say there's 49 dimensions here, 49 sub-dimensions. The next world's down, Briah, 
is where the waters of creation are believed to get more and more dense. And again, they claim there's 49 dimensions and 49 subdimensions here. And by the way, I didn't mention, but these are the classes of angels that are believed to rule the upper world. And these are the next called the second hierarchy right down here. So it's way down here, hundreds of dimensions below in something called Yetzirah. Now, many people who are familiar with some of the Kabbalistic texts, which are really just ancient spirituality, have probably heard of a book called the Sefer Yetzirah. It's been translated several times by several different people. And Yetzirah, or Yetzirah, means formation. This is where the molecular worlds, as we might know it, and even more advanced than that, are happening. And this is where the rotating galaxies are believed to be. This is where space and dimensional reality all happens and all the complex stuff that science is studying. They claim there could be 49 parallel universes and 49 subdimensions in each one. And it's interesting because a lot of your ancient secret societies knew this. They knew there were parallel time-space dimensions and a lot of them. Our Milky Way, just for a little perspective, may be way down here, and this is just conceptual only. And notice over here, we start seeing the familiar archangels, intelligences, angels, and the spirits, right? And then the last world is called Asea. Now, some people will pronounce that slightly different, but let's you know keep it simple here. This is also known as the astral planes. This is the lower, what we would call, sublunar worlds in between the Earth Earth, and also the eighth sphere known as the heavens, which you could say is the universes. So the solar system and the lunar uh, energies are all down here. And notice over here, we see Lucifer, Satan, Belial, and Leviathan. Now, usually in a religion, you get a guy with a suit tie and a microphone telling you about the devil, right? <laughs> but it's just a little bit deeper than that one. These guys literally may be incarcerated here at the very deepest levels of reality, right into the molecular fabric and more when it comes to that. And there's many spiritual dimensions that matter comes from. And this is all known as the Yetzirahic fabric and angels that are literally holding this whole lower physical dimension and reality together. So they might actually be involved in birth, growth, and death, and creation and destruction itself. And that's why this world tends to be a world of good and evil and all points in between. Because here we are down here in these meat suits called bodies, right? And that's where I love the ancient Vedantic and Nadi principles, because they actually said a guardian angel or an angel, whatever you like, actually attaches the spirit, psyche, and soul to mom's womb, right? At conception. And then what happens is the nine months of gestation, which for most children's about that, right? When mom's water breaks, that angel ties the spirit, psyche, and soul permanently to the body at first breath. And they wait until the celestial heavens are at the right positions when that happens, because everybody's going to be born on the earth in a different place. And even if they're in the same place, they're usually not at the exact same time. And even seconds can matter. And even if someone did get born at the exact same time, same place, their souls are never going to be the same anyhow. So the celestial influences are just that. 
that's what astrologers are running around just picking your sun sign, your moon and your ascendant, which it's way more complex than that. So in the Vedic astrology, you can actually see this is a really cool little diagram out of Bhagavad Gita, which shows the etheric white energy leaving from death to rebirth and, of course, on and on through the incarnations. And most of your ancient religions absolutely have in reincarnation right inside of it. Uh, the only one that seemed to throw it out was Rome. Somewhere between the first and the fifth century, they decided to throw the doctrines of reincarnation in the garbage can. And now you're all sinners and you're all going to hell, right? So it's it's really a whole different philosophy because most of the medieval astrologers were outrunning prosecution from the church. <laughs> so a lot of the really good astrology went underground. And that's, you know, why I think India may have kept it a little more intact, even though it's kind of fallen apart itself during the modern industrial world. But many of those ancient documents are profound. They're really profound. And it talks about us being souls and your astrology is your karmic merits and demerits. In other words, the blessings and the so-called curses on the soul is the positions of the matrix of astrology. It's not us. It's our reality structure in this place called time, because there is no time. There's only the celestial influences of day and night, years and months, you see. So it's a totally different world when you look at the ancient stuff and much more accurate too, I might add. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I imagine a society informed with this kind of knowledge could function at a capacity that allowed the soul to uh, realize its full potential, right? I think we're, we're living in a sort of society where so much of our um, perspective has been altered to the point where we don't even recognize our soul. And, and looking at a beautiful diagram like the one you just showed us earlier, you can see clearly demonstrate, obviously it's a graph, but this concept of microcosm, macrocosm. And when I see those yes. tree of life, you know, the, the not nodes connected by these various paths, it makes me think of chemistry and how all of uh, what we have inside of us and surrounding us are essentially these same components, you know, nodes and paths linking them. When you start to think about the world like that uh, and how a lot of these occultists and alchemists were actually the early scientists themselves, uh, you start to really see uh, what what we're really dealing with. I don't, you know, I'm a little flabbergasted because that is quite a profound um, seed of knowledge you just shared with us, Jeff. Where, where should we proceed from here? Well, I, I would say, you know, taking that even further, if you look at the only difference between the sound we're hearing each other with and the dust on the screens we're staring at and the hair on our head is the molecular electrical makeup of it. And there, I think there's a lot more than that. But it's literally everything is energy. And, you know, science and quantum physics will tell us everything's atoms and molecules, neutrinos and all these different etheric spaces between them. And there are forces that are not fully understood. A lot of people talk about magnetism and gravity and all these different forces and torsional waves, which they're right. But I think it's a lot more than that. Something very, very intelligent is holding all this together. And when you looked at that model I just showed a minute ago, they actually say if the seraphims 
and the cherubims were not chanting the permutations of creation, also many believe it's God's name, the entire physical realms would just be gone. They wouldn't even exist. In other words, it's in fact, this relates to astrology. Many people think astrology was this evolutionary, you know, growth, and it seems to be exactly backwards. The farther back we go, the more that it seems they knew that the astrology was not just a bunch of planets. If you talk to a, a uh, a, 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 an astronomer today, you know, in, in the modern world, they're going to talk, they're going to walk away from astrology. They're going to shake their heads and say, you're out of your mind. First off, they're looking at gravity, masses, gases, trajectories, orbital patterns, all these things. They're looking at science, right? And hard science, left brain science. You talk to an ancient astronomer or astrologer, they'll tell you, no, the planets may be physical bodies, but they're also angelic portals. They're literally interactive portals with the reality that we're in. And this really gets deep. In fact, the movie, I always say, forget Trinity, Neo, and Morpheus, this might truly be the real matrix. And I think that's why that first movie struck such a chord, is because it, it made people realize that this reality may not be anything like we believe, even though it is. And this gets into a lot of paranormal and extraterrestrial stuff that has been, I think, intriguing us since the beginning of time and will continue to do so. And that is that uh, like in India, many of the mandalas, the they call them sacred geometry or yantras is another word that they're called, are literally patterns that are discovered in cymatics, if you've ever heard of cymatics, cymatics is discovered by a German physicist, and uh, it was called Chaldean, the Chaldean plates. Many people may have heard of that. And that's where you take frequencies, you sprinkle sand on a plate, right? And it'll vibrate into all these sacred geometrical patterns. Well, you take a look at some of the yantras and angelic squares that are in ancient India and Vedanta, and you'll start recognizing some really familiar patterns. And these were done through chance and vibrational forces that the deities or the angels, I believe, taught some of the Tibetan lamas and the rishis and the Egyptians. They were there was a time, I think, when we were very in contact with this type of thing. The modern mechanistic world has really changed. And that seemed to happen right around 1762, which was when we had the great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in a fire trime. That, ironically enough, was the same time George Washington was fighting for the British against the French and the Indian, which he later defected and started creating the Revolutionary Army, which then formed this country, the United States, which, by the way, is under great duress right now. And the astrology shows it. So what's interesting about all of this is that the cycles of astronomy seem to show the ebbs and flows throughout history that happen to this world. And I really don't believe our history books. I mean, you don't have to look too far into the worlds of Tartarian stuff, the Egyptian stuff, some of the stuff that we hear that's mysteriously been created with architecture and other devices throughout history. Look at the World Fair that happened in Chicago right at the turn of the century. I mean, there was stuff going on there that no one can answer. And yet it was mysteriously torn down and destroyed. So there's forces on this planet 
that are very, very mystical. And I really believe that there are certain waves of souls who actually have contact with angelic forces. And this is not even a theory. If you take the Hebrew religion and Judaism, they celebrate the Rosh Hashanah and the High Holidays. That was actually the celebration of your guardian angel coming to you and teaching you how to make the fourth hierarchy, the, the evil spirits, take an oath to serve. So very, very interesting stuff. And that's not something I'm making up. That's actually in texts. And uh, that was the golden secrets of Exodus and the original Psalms. So our religions have sorely failed in a number of areas in those and communicating this stuff out. It's it's become dogmatized and you're all sinners and you're all going to hell, right? But there's a great truth in some of them. It's just the spirits, I think, have gone out of their way to obfuscate humanity. And there's actually, I believe, a direct attempt to keep us reincarnating here in an entrapment. And until we become conscious of that, we're likely to keep reincarnating. And some of us will actually not get out of here unless that consciousness is achieved at some point in time. So it's really deep stuff. And there's a text about that um, that is quite interesting. It's called the Share Hagilgum. I'll put this back on the screen because I, I have a great YouTube video. It's, it's real brief, but it's a YouTube video about this stuff. And um, let me see if I can find it here. Um, I'll put up the text here. And, and I, I encourage you to go to my YouTube channel, which is uh, Jeff um, Harmon Astrology or Astrologer, whatever you want. And um, you'll find it. And I have a, 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 a brief treatise here on these texts. This is called the Sharar or Sharei Hagilgum. And Sharar in Hebrew means gate and Hagilgum means cycling of the souls. And in this particular book, it actually talks about the conscious mind that we all have that we think is us is really not us. It's the interface. It's the keyboard, the mouse, and the screen we interact with through these miraculous bodies. And see, in Vedanta, they actually talk about that, where we have chakras, right? The third eye chakra, interestingly enough, seems to be where our consciousness integrates into these incredible bodies, which none of us even think about until we get sick, we get hurt, we get old, right? Then, then we start realizing, oh my God, this, is, this was an amazing thing that I could walk across the room or pick up a cup of coffee or even speak, right? So it's quite miraculous. You know, you, you go find AI that can walk across the room and think and talk the way you do with the dexterity you have, good luck. They're, they're going to achieve it. They're already getting there, trust me. But it'll never do what you can do. And that is have emotion and feelings because it's not connected to a spirit and a soul. And this, that text I just mentioned, has a model in it that I love to show people. See, this big thick dash line is the demarcation between what modern psychiatry, psychology, or whatever you want to refer to, calls the conscious mind below here. And the so-called subconscious mind is above this big thick dash line. That line, by the way, is actually an interesting line because it's that mark that you and I all have right there between the nose and the upper lip. It's called Cupid's bow. That actually is a mark the angels believe to make, to make us forget, to knock us out so that we come in these little bodies as little bitty babies, completely 
oblivious to anything. We can't talk. We can't speak. We can't walk. Now, some people say they can remember things, and I think all of us can if we get in touch with it. But in general, we're knocked out. If it wasn't for our parents, we wouldn't be able to walk. Well, after the latter part of the first year, the little seeds up and walking, right? The body's, you know, starting to get tuned in. We're making noises. And then we start to learn how to speak. Well, this all is called the lower conscious mind. In Hebrew, it's called the nefesh. And that's exactly what AI can develop, and it'll be superior to us. In fact, the military figured out a long, long time ago, human beings at best are going to be 50, 60 percent effective at perfunctory chores. Why? You got to go to the bathroom. I got I'm tired. I don't feel good. I got a headache. You know, I got to eat. I got to go to the bathroom. So AI won't do that. Runs out of batteries, you recharge it. So AI is sure to replace us in terms of perfunctory tasks. Elon Musk might be really right about that one. Um, but, but, but AI will never have what you have. And that is a spirit and a soul. And this is very mysterious stuff. Notice the planets are in here. Saturn is the cross over the crescent of the moon. See, all the planetary glyphs come from the seed, which is the sun, the crucible, which is the moon, and the cross, which is manifestation on the physical plane. In fact, here's an even better diagram that kind of depicts that even a little bit better, right? Dad puts the seed, which is the sun, in mom's womb. That seed germinates, just like farmer puts the seed in the ground, and spirit becomes manifest where on the four elements. Very, very important. So not only is that sunrise, noon, sunset, midnight, but it's also the four archangelic forces that rule earth, air, fire, and water, which all atomic and physical things can be classified under in the atomic tables. So much, much deeper than we know. And why am I telling you all this? Well, it's because, see, this is where we're going in this new world. On, on the winter solstice of 2020, we had a new Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that is ushering in a very, very high-tech world. Not that it wasn't here already, but now you're really going to see it happen. And your new one world orderers, the people who George Carlin referred to run this place, and they do, they own it. It's a big club and we ain't in it. Um, they literally... Um, knew that this was coming. And I think they're all their agendas we hear about is what's going on. And the lower conscious mind is like silly putty, this nefesh that, that I'm referring to here. It is actually very plastic. It's it's almost like silly putty. It just, in, whatever we get exposed to, we take it on, right? And they're called elementals and samskaras. And see, in the ancient Bhagavad Gita and the ancient texts in Egyptian, they say you will keep reincarnating here as long as your physical desires bind the soul to the body. You'll just keep coming back until we get out of that. And that's a really interesting thing. So the astrology ain't us. The astrology is truly, truly your karmic path. And you can actually see when people are getting ready to escape from Alcatraz and potentially move on to other worlds and dimensions. Now, it's I'd, really cool stuff. I'd like to see, keep this open. I'd like to ask you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, let me right. put it back up. Yeah, yeah that's right. I'd like yeah, to, just in, it to interpret this and uh, and see what you think. Um, looks like it's right there in the. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it is. There you go. So, based on the way you described the the you know propensity for modern psychology to 
consider all of this above that solid line there, the block line there, uh, mm. subconscious. It sounds to me like there's some kind of inversion going on. And now, you know, if that's not enough, I, I then thought about it a little more. And if you look at the triangle above, you know, it's yep. quite different than the triangle below, which we tend to yep. see that triangle, that upside down pyramid there flipped over as a right side up pyramid with the eye in the middle, that nefesh uh, underneath mm -hmm. the pyramid in this inverted, you know, form would be the ego, which psychologists tell us, well, your ego is bad, you know, uh, don't trust your ego, don't trust your sense of self. Um, you know, egotistical is, is thought of as a negative thing, uh, whereas in the past, when... No, it can be a positive thing if you utilize it, right? Well, yeah. certainly, and I, I, I'm not arguing that it is. I'm just suggesting that maybe there's some sort of uh, agenda at foot that leaves us with this inverted understanding of the tree of life uh, where, you know, somehow the superconscious is below, uh, you know, what they want us to be focusing on, which is the, our lower conscious mind. So I don't know, just a That's little it. bit of my uh, paranoid two cents here uh, on the, mm. the tree of life. But uh, yeah, it does. I do. I mean, it's a way of looking at things. Yeah, absolutely. I do concur. You know, everything I've seen shows that we've devolved not evolved right as you described it seems the further we go in the past the more complex their understanding of astronomy and astrology was and you know i've understood it that the planets have an influence over us depending on their proximity to the earth and other uh you know variables and you just mentioned the saturn uh jupiter uh arrangement this that is foreseeably bringing in a new technological age. I'd like, oh, it has. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to expand has. on that a bit because in my own research into New Haven cityscape, I've found um, a New Haven. If you're not familiar, is where Yale University exists and Skull and Bones, and they pretty much you know founded the place. Uh, it seems like they're encoding not only a Saturn but also a Jupiter influence. Uh, and I have several points of evidence for that, but without getting too far into that, um, do you think that powers that be in the ancient past and maybe up until the present use these sort of planetary influences in architecture and even beyond, you know, planning the, the cityscape and so on? Well, I think they know about them. Um, a good example is just in modern times, and I bring this up a lot, look at 9-11. They knew that that was a window. And anyone who does a little research, there's clearly more going on to that than we've been told. Just like the bank crashes, there was a lot going on in that as well. Um, in 2008, that was all Saturn-Pluto opposition, Saturn-Pluto square, and then COVID. COVID happened, you could have set your watch, to when Saturn and Pluto and the tropical zodiac conjoined. It was right on, it was right spot on. And no matter what we say about COVID, something a little bit fishy is going on there too. Um, and it corresponded to the astrology precisely. And then in 2020, that was January of 2020, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction happened. And, you know, there were sagebrush blowing in the streets, not only in the United States, but globally, this was a global effect. 
And then what happened is we came around to the winter solstice, the following at the end of 2020. And that's what really ushered in this whole new energy that we're feeling. And of course, look at how this is being pushed on us. The WEF is going on right now. You've got the new one world, you know, order really pushing this. This is a battle right now, a full on tilt to get freedom and fascism um it's really I, I call it the war between the globalists and the nationalists you know even joe biden well i don't think joe biden could scratch his his nose without him being told where to scratch but but bottom line is the the handlers above him the owners the true owners the, the financial owners i i really think are pushing right now their agenda more than ever before we're seeing the climate change roots we're seeing all this other stuff but mostly what they're really trying to get going is is the agenda to where everyone financially is going to be dependent on the the governments and they just passed a uh, there's a number of things like uh gavin newsom just passed a law that now illegal aliens can become uh, they can become police officers what's going on here you know and you see this infiltration right now with so many people funding you know the Soros. We hear about George Soros, who looks like the Sith, and Klaus Schwab, whose mother was Rothschild, and on and on and on. This this very mysterious web of money that gets really powerfully infiltrated, and the uh, Friedman, the Sam Bankman Friedman thing, and you know just on and on. So there's so much attack going on right now in the United States, and for that matter, the whole world. And they knew they knew that this. 2020 trigger point was the window, the opening astrologically. And the pendulum swings back and forth on this lower reality. And they'll never win, but they cause a lot of trouble. They cause a lot, a lot of trouble. And you, you I really, I, I know they're familiar with these cycles because it's it goes right back to antiquity. If you look at... Um, when a lot of events throughout history happened, they correspond very accurately. Now, I, I know the secret societies are very tuned into the, the great conjunctions is what they're called. goes all the way back to the flood of Noah. Mm. And uh, this is very ancient type of astrology. And I, I think the secret societies have closely held this stuff and they're very, very well aware of it. And uh they they tend there's there's and I don't even think it's just people. I think there are some very demonic forces at war with creation. The only thing I can say that makes me pleased is when I look at that hierarchical tree I, I had it before. Clearly, divinity and the upper angels are above. And if they weren't holding the evil spirits in abeyance, I don't think anything would exist down here. I think the for sure the human race would be history. Mm. Yeah, it certainly seems like they've used this knowledge against us, keeping us in ignorance so that they can sort of uh, set up this problem reaction solution scenario and know that the planets uh, or the gods are going to maybe favor their timing. And, uh, and yeah, I guess my question earlier was more about how maybe a temple or a building could be created at a certain time. Uh, oh, yeah, intellectual astrology. When you mentioned 9-11, which I'm sure, you know, there was some thought as to that date. You know, obviously it was the first year of the third millennium. Uh, we have, you know, 
these buildings that are in Manhattan, one of the largest cities uh, in the world, obviously the most populated uh, on the East Coast. And uh, yeah, it's also on this city ley line, which I'm not sure how far you entertain the the subject of ley lines. Uh, uh, but right if, on. Are you kidding? Yeah, but you if bet. you're going to strike somewhere in New York City, I mean, it's right there on that eastern seaboard ley line that connects Philadelphia, Boston, Washington, D.C., and, and, and so on and so forth, all the way down to the Pyramid of Mexico in Teotihuacan. So, yeah. Well, I, the, see, that's it. See, and, and it's very mysterious. You look at the United States itself. Um there's really no way Washington and the ragtag ragtag revolutionary army should have won the against the very well equipped and very well funded British and and very well trained British. And even though Washington was a British you know officer prior to that, there was a lot of mystery surrounding everything that happened with this country. And in fact, a lot of people may or may not know this, but there was a diary that George Washington had where he said he had angels visit him and give him a lot of information. Secondly, um, when he was fighting with the British against the French and Indian war, every officer with him was shot and killed except for one. And he was quite well damaged. And I can tell you that that officer that and Washington had two horses shot out from underneath him. He had bullet holes all over his jacket and not a single mark on him. And later, when Washington defected from the uh, British army and created the revolutionary army and the declaration of independence was formed. Apparently an older Indian chief, that was, that was like 14, 16 years earlier, uh, had approached Washington and said, we saw a great spirit above you and we tried to kill you many, many times and we couldn't. And, um, he said, uh, we, we saw this spirit above you, and, and I knew you were going to bring a great nation to, to life here. And uh, so it's really interesting, some of the mysticism that was involved with that. And the French, and I'm, I'm going to complete that thought, the French were really behind this whole effort, the secret societies and the Masons. Now, I know a lot of people think the Masons are all devil worshipers. And yeah, maybe all these secret societies get infiltrated. But I would encourage any person to pick up the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights and read it. And I don't think you're going to get too far and you're going to go, wow, this is really for the betterment of humanity. It's probably some of the most greatest documents for humanity that I've ever, ever encountered. They're profound. And they're weasel worded in such a way where all this trickery and subterfuge that's even going on right now cannot fully happen um, if, if you're reading it correctly. So here's my point. The French were very much behind this whole effort. Well, guess who laid out Washington, D.C.? A French architect, a Masonic architect. And there is so much sacred geometry. In fact, Washington, D.C. is still not even in the United States. It's called the District of Columbia. It's not in the United States. It's a separate sovereign place. And it is laid on a ley line. And it is uh, got sacred geometry in the streets, the obelisks, the domes, where the capital is. In fact, here, I'll show you something. This is really cool. This is George Washington uh, at a Masonic uh, ritual. 
where he was lowering the uh, cornerstone of the foundation for the Capitol. Now, that guy over there, see him in the back right here where I'm circling. He uh, that's not a hangman's gallow. That's a block and tackle. You can actually see the pulleys right there lowering the cornerstone of the United States Capitol Foundation into place at a Masonic ritual at a good astrological time. See, Washington, that's Washington with his apron on. So these guys were so into astrological times. In fact, Benjamin Franklin, who was considered to be one of the more, you know, I think uh, influential people in the Declaration of Independence, and uh, Thomas Paine, as well as many others, uh, literally put out an almanac and he he made statements. He said, uh, you know, no one would commence an important act without first looking at the electional astrology times. Now, that was discredited. I, a lot of people said, yeah, but that, that's not true. Well, actually, it kind of is. The more you look into it, there's been a lot of disinformation to discredit that. But Washington did. He put out, a, 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 I think it was a monthly newspaper. And this is back in the 1700s. In the colonies, it was called Little Richard's Almanac. And he had all kinds of stuff on astrology in there and timing and really, really interesting stuff. So these guys were steeped in this. And the French were really very involved. Let's hope they did a good job at laying that at a good time. Because let me tell you, the United States right now has a Pluto return going on. See, the United States is 246 years old. So right as we speak this year and, and the next couple of years, the United States has a sidereal Pluto return. What does that mean in plain English? This country will either not be here in the next couple of years as we know it, or it's going to be the phoenix rising out of the ashes. And take a close look at what's happening, folks. You've got the borders not just being infiltrated by a few illegal immigrants. It's being infiltrated by all kinds of things we know nothing about, not only the drugs, the terrorist groups, etc. And they're planting cells all over this country. You've got all these dystopiocratic you know, people coming in, releasing criminals, just literally creating insanity throughout this country to cause it to to um, literally come apart at the seams. And you've got, you know, half the District of Criminals. That's what we now call Washington, D.C. is the District of Criminals, not the District of Columbia. And literally the, the stuff we're seeing going on right now is insane. It's, it's virtual insanity. They're jacking up all the energy costs, which at the same time is going to just keep rising inflation. And then the Fed is ratcheting up interest rates, which make money less available. It's a perfect cocktail for economic destruction. Well, what happens then? Everyone throws up their hands and says, oh, my God, we, we, you know, save us. Well, here, here's your government stipend. Now do what we tell you to do. That's communism. But a high tech one is coming if it's not stopped. Will it get stopped? It likely will. I, I don't think it's going to be easy. The United States, if you look at the astrology of the United States birth chart right now, it's got some really dangerous stuff going on, like, like I've never seen before. Uh, the Pluto return on the Roman Empire broke it up in the first 250 years, and the second Pluto return destroyed it, totally dissolved it. So and it was never the same after the first Pluto return. So, you know, if you look throughout history, I know a lot of people listening are going to go, well, but he's wrong because Pluto's not a planet anymore. Well, the only thing I could tell you is the synodic cycles of that, whether you call it a planet, a planetoid, or you don't even believe in it, certainly seems to show up in the cycles. And, you know, again, I'm 
I don't know if I believe in anything, but I do like to objectively observe things. And I can tell you, these cycles are right on. They're spot on. Yeah, I noticed down at the bottom there, it says uh, the capital cornerstone was laid in September. I can't make out the year there, but uh, that places... I think it was 1791. Yeah, something like that. So that places the United States capital at the very least as a Virgo. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if, you know... Because I have a friend who's an astrologer, Michael Wan, and he relies on sidereal astrology yep. primarily. So that would be, what, two months difference? So in, in the sidereal... I'm uh, sure. About 24 degrees different, not not okay. too much, but, okay. but about 24 degrees difference. Okay. And, you know, every, you know, a lot of people are sidereal astrologers, but what kind? So you got to really watch what Ayanamsha you use. Ayanamsha is where you take the sidereal zodiac up against the tropical systems. They're both really accurate. But yeah, yeah the yogas and also the, the way you look at it is very, very important. Well, and I'm but, curious yeah. with that in mind, you know, it kind of gives mm-hmm. a twofold interpretation to any event in that sense. So we have, a, it's a Virgo in one sense, but it, it's this other sign, which I'm not quite sure what 24 degrees, which way it is away from. Would um, be backwards. Okay. So you, you'd be looking at, you know, instead of going into Virgo, you'd be going into Leo. Interesting. Okay, so that makes the United States a Leo, which, you know, the lion has his... Well, no, not the United States, the capital time at which they planted it. Right, okay. Yeah, it's like Washington, yeah. Well, and and correct me on this, because I do want to know more about how this is considered. I mean, uh, Ross Ben, who's written about Philadelphia, he's put (laughs) there, he's figured out the, you know, sign of, or at least the sun sign of Philadelphia. I'm wondering how much you know doing a natal chart of a place can give you information about that huge oh god yeah i mean that see that gets into vastu and that gets into what they call maherta that's all in vedic astrology called electional astrology it's right on oh yeah i've taken i've had when i do location astrology readings i not only look at the maps but when people want to go to a certain city in the united states we have the the real blessing that we usually know the incorporation date why because the united states is not that old we might not have the exact time but it's usually somewhere between eight and noon so you know, once you get past Virgos and Leos and all that crap, you start looking at configurations, you know, because the sun sign is not everything. It certainly has an influence, but you want to look at the aspects. If you have good lunar aspects, you have good solar aspects. And see, when you concretize an event, meaning when you have a person born or you plant a cornerstone. I even do this when I set gemstones. You want to make sure you don't have malefic progressions and aspects coming up afterwards, because in primary directions, each degree equals a year. And in secondary progressions, months can matter. So I do this in wedding elections. I do a lot of wedding elections, real estate elections, where people will look at a time at which something can happen. And uh, you want to make sure, if you can, you don't have those in. And I know I've seen it happen in my own life where stuff comes back to haunt you, where you think, ah, the person won't do this. And then you'll have a sun Saturn opposition in there. And trust me, it goes Krakatoa. So things happen uh, commensurate with it's almost like casting a mold. In fact, that's why I actually cast gems, the pieces for gems, the metals at a good time, which is kind of an alchemical, you know, energy, if you will. So, oh, yeah, this 
stuff is right on. And even if you don't believe it, it's right on um, because um, it's energy. And and once we get past the woo-woo of astrology, you know, and oh, my God, it's predicting the future and this and that, that's a bunch of crap. It doesn't predict the future. No different than if you're going 100 miles an hour down the road, I can predict your future if someone pulls out in front of you, right? It's, it's energy. So it's all really very logical, common sense, energetic geometry and numerology. And when you treat it that way, more as a science instead of this woo-woo you know, hand waving stuff. It's it's really gets accurate. It really does. It's it's very mathematical and very geom geometrical. Just like you know, I I knew I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone twenty something years ago uh, in two thousand one, and I said something's going to happen here any day. And sure enough, the next day I'm watching planes smoldering in the buildings and down like sparklers from jet fuel they came. And of course, magically the building seven sure followed. But you see what I'm saying? So the, these energies, just like the pandemic, I'm sorry, the pandemic that happened in 2020, that was right on. It was so spot on. Literally could have set your watch to when the media pulled the trip lever and said, be afraid, folks, the world's going to end. Bodies will be stacked to the ceiling. That was the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Now, if you go back through history, that happens about every 38 to 40 years. It's somewhere in that area. If you go back through history. You can see the, the points where society gyrates. Why this one was so significant and why these people knew it was is because they knew that 240-year Jupiter-Saturn conjunction was lining up on the winter solstice of 2020. So that's why they, they, they knew this was very substantial. The next big move they're going to make is somewhere around 2000. 2028, because in 2028, we get the Saturn Pluto square. See, and but that doesn't line up quite as strong as, as the 220 did. The 220 was, they knew they could really torpedo us with that. And boy, did they. They really did. The world will never be the same. Look at look at what's happened with the vaccines and all the stuff that's coming out and all the subterfuge that has been done. And, and you know, like George Washington said, he said, if you want to destroy a country, the best way is loot the treasury first. Well, what do you think they've been doing? Mm. You know, 31 yeah. trillion in debt? What do you think they're doing? Yeah, it's it's distressing to say the least. You know, we uh, you definitely don't have to convince us that this stuff uh, is tangible here on this show, Jeff. Uh, you know, I'm not right? trying to convince anybody no, anything. No. I'm just saying it works. No, yeah, it's right absolutely. there. All you got to do is look at it. Well, and I've heard you talk about this location astrology, and you use the term election. Uh, is there a difference between, uh, you know, what what does that term mean within the confines of astrology, election astrology? What do you mean by that? Well, here, I'll show you. Um, it, there's, there's many different types of astrology, and there's a lot to astrology. One of the probably the most easy ways to show you is this list right here. See, most people, whether they're doing sun sign astrology or doing Vedic astrology, they're looking at the birth chart. They're looking at your birth time, location, and date. So that can be looked at a number of different ways. That's often referred to as natal astrology or birth chart astrology, right? Then there's locations, and, and that's a profound science, the birth chart, because you can look at transits and progressions. In Vedic astrology, you have all kinds of naughty progressions and doshas that are profound. It's really 
Quite amazing how accurate it is. And then you have location astrology. Location astrology is picking an auspicious location at which to live. And you can see here on the screen, this is literally a map, which you can look anywhere in the world. Of course, that just happened. I was just looking at somebody in Europe. But if you take the good old US of A, wherever you have beneficial lines, which is Sun, Jupiter, Venus, you're going to find you're going to be happy. We have challenging lines where Saturn and Pluto and Mars are going to be intense uh, proportionally. And then speaking of ley lines, you have all these horizontal lines. Each person will be different. There's a really good video on my YouTube channel that explains this stuff, the real basics of it. And it's just like light and sound. The closer you get to them, the more powerful, the farther away you get the weaker. So it's and it's only specific to each individual and what's fascinating too is you also have transits and progressions so locate every one of these subjects you can go into exceedingly deep and you can animate you can see here watch i can i can literally animate when transits are going by and you have progressions too so this is very profound stuff and then the other type of astrology is known many modern astrologers called horary i hate that word because it sounds like it's got hair on it but the that's a latinized term but the real was called interrogation or judicial astrology. In India, it's called prashna. They're all one and the same. They're synonymous. See, interrogation astrology is really profound. Prior to, say, you know, the 1900s, people often didn't know their birth time. You know, they were born, you know, in a covered wagon or at home and in the bed with mom or on the farm or wherever they were, right? Or in a ship crossing the ocean. So they might not have had an exact birth time. They might not even had timepieces to to note it, especially uh, throughout Europe and, and the United States in the 17, 16, and 1500s. I mean, people didn't have timepieces that were that accurate. So a lot of people didn't know their time. So they would use something known as interrogation astrology. Interrogation astrology is a strange word that just means an interrogatory. It means you're asking a question. You cast a chart for the moment. And you can ask about anything. You can ask, you know, hey, well, you know, this happened or that happened, or is it in my best interest to marry so and so or where's my missing money i mean i can tell you so many stories i've got thousands of these i probably am running close to 15 plus thousand in my files and that's only what i've been keeping track of for the last 20 something years um that that astrology blows my mind because you don't need your birth chart you just ask a question I use it all the time. And it's stunning how accurate it is. Then there's the other type of astrology, which is what we mentioned. This is what George Washington was using called electional astrology. That's picking an auspicious time to get married, sign a real estate contract, sell your house, um, to set a gym, to take a trip. These are all things I'm doing all the time for clients. Like they'll say, I got an important business thing I got to go on to. Give me a good day to go. And then I will literally pick the time they grab the luggage and lock the key in the door and head out and jump in whatever vehicle they're going or however they're going to go. So they they literally have me pick a time right out the door. And, you know, you, you still got free will, but it puts a better energy on it. You know, it puts a better energy. And then mundane astrology sounds like a weird word, but it's also known as what's going on in the sky. Like COVID, that's mundane astrology. These big cycles, like the industrial revolution, and now this new high-tech revolution, that's mundane astrology. And then you got medical astrology. Medical astrology, I can't practice medicine, but it's profound. 
around, many people will know something called Ayurvedic astrology. Ayurveda is profound because it looks into the imbalances. That's actually what my mother turned me on to in the 70s as well. She was a hemodialysis specialist. And she was really quite, quite knowledgeable. And she really got attracted to medical astrology because she contracted breast cancer. And so throughout the 80s, she was really doing a lot of medical astrology. And I, I had the opportunity to really get into that. And I still love it where I literally and you can do that in a lot of ways. You can look at cycles in the Nadi and Vedic astrology where you're likely to find your health is going to be more challenged. No, there's things you can do with diet. There's certain things you can do with reflexology, acupuncture, acupressure, and all kinds of compensating things to mitigate that. And just the fact that you know it, you're going to act different. And then, because, uh, you know, in Vedic astrology, you can see when you're out of here. And uh, it's it's really profound. So medical astrology is this huge topic. And oftentimes, I do medical elections for people. Now, I can't practice medicine. But I, they'll say to me, Jeff, I've got to go, you know, get surgery done or have an elective you know, procedure done. And they'll look for a good day to go do it. Uh, most doctors that I know, they're not going to hear about astrology, though a lot do. I have a lot of them that actually do, and they love it. But they're very careful about it because they don't want to lose their license. So what we do is I say, well, you get from your doctor all the days that that surgery could be performed, and then I'll pick the best one. And then they go in and they have it done. And invariably, I've seen it really helps. And they've even had a lot of very honest doctors say to me, you know, Jeff, we follow procedure to the T. And some days, I don't care what we do, it's all screwed up. And other days, it just goes smooth as silk. And we weren't even, you know, that on it. And I said, yeah, it's the energies. You know, when you go under the knife with hard aspects from the moon or the sun or other signifactors that rule that body part, it can be dicey, even if you follow. And healing is really the big thing is how will the body react to the healing of the energy? So that's where the celestial influences really pay off. And then the last one is kind of where it's called session charts, this reading of the heart. The Egyptians would, and in, in, in India, they do the same thing. When a client comes to me for a reading, the first thing I do is cast a session chart to just kind of overall see what's on their mind. It's, it's in a way kind of reading the heart of the individual individual to help them better you know so it's cool stuff really cool that's a basic overview of some of the general types of astrology thank so you. it's really yeah a lot of fun yeah thank you i really appreciate the the breakdown yeah. here i i didn't realize how complex it truly was and uh i will admit the the location astrology still fascinates me the most as as much as the yeah. the medical astrology seems to be uh very useful, especially in these times. But uh, when it comes to location astrology, how similar is it to an art like uh, feng shui, right? We have this sort of uh, idea of feng shui in the East that, you know, certain oh, yeah. spaces can be Love cultivated. I mean, where where did these two overlap? 
Well, see, feng shui, you know, is again, that's a Chinese whole thing, which is very good. And the the people who are really good at feng shui, they're absolutely using astrology. They're using Chinese astrology. Well, the older one, the grandfather, quite possibly, to feng shui is Vastu. Vastu was used in the ancient temples of Tibet and India, and I think even in China. It goes way, way back. Vastu uses Vedic astrology. It's the energy of space. And it's literally looking at the angelic forces in time and space. So, for instance, you know, feng shui uses the same principles, but I think the vastu is a little deeper. Not that I want to pit it against it, but I, I have feng shui and I study it, but I like vastu better. Why? Because there are certain things about vastu that's older and more rooted in looking at each individual. Like if you own a house, there the direction your house faces, just like in feng shui, has a huge effect where the doors are, where the windows, where the the sewages, where the incoming water, where you store things. And a lot of people can't change this because their house is built the way it was built. And most people just build a house and they go. But I've been involved in a lot of architectural level stuff with, with Vastu. That is amazing. Like I've done doctor's offices, uh, many of them over the years, spiritual centers. We've looked at educational centers, homes, where it's really fun when you're in a new construction and you're now sitting there at the drawing board, you know, with, with architectural drawings. It's very easy to change where you put the furnace room or where you put the kitchen and which way you face the stove and where you're going to bring in, you know, certain things, especially when you're in more rural areas where you have septics and things like that and wells. You know, city, you're kind of bound to where the water comes in. But you can do some profound things with Vastu, which is a, in my opinion, a much deeper science than feng shui. And I don't want to demean feng because it's it's certainly I have some very good friends who do it and it's wonderful. But there are also things you can do to existing places like the direction you put your office. Like right now, I'm facing almost directly to the north east. Why would I do that? Well, that's where Jupiter is, you see, and I need all the help I can get. So it, it helps you focus a little bit more. Right. So each direction in the compass has certain inherent planetary energies. But and this is where I like Vasu. If you look at your birth chart, there is going to be certain areas that you want to strengthen and other ones that are really strong. And that can really support what you do either to an existing building or to a new architectural phase that you're in. Profound stuff, really profound. I, I've done a lot of this over the years, and it it can really, really make a huge difference in the energy you feel in a place. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Now that you said that, I'm, yep. I'm starting to think, you know, in this current apartment where I'm podcasting from, I'm always facing the east. The sun rises right over uh, the That's computer very good. here. Uh, very good. In the past. Because yeah, the chief flow energy comes in from the east. Okay. Well, yeah. In the past, I was in a basement in my hmm. the place I was before, and I was facing the north, maybe the northeast, but I'm just going to go ahead and guess it was north based on where the sun was rising. But yeah, I, I can I can see a difference in my podcast from that point and now, and I wonder if that has something to do with it. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. And and each individual. That's why I love Vastu because Vastu doesn't just 
you know, one size fits all. It You really can tailor it to each individual, really. And see, gemstones, that's another thing I do a lot, too. I prescribe gemstones, and I actually sell untreated gems. And I set them at a very good astrological time, like a talisman to your birth chart. There's a whole procedure where you charge them with a very specific prayer, mantra, and angelic square known as a yantra. You place it. There's a whole procedure I give people. But I was skeptical of that one too many years ago. You know, I, I had a teacher about 35 years, Jeff, you should wear this gem. And I'm like, are you trying to sell me gems? And what are you trying to do here? But And then uh, he said, no. He said, no, 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 trust me. He said, this is a very sacred science. And of course, we know how many kings and queens and emperors. I, I cannot tell you how many people I have done gems for who are in large businesses and politics. They know they have energies and they wear them concealed as pendants underneath. They're not flashing them around. It's very, very important because it strengthens the auric field and every gem is not right for everyone. You, your sp specific gems that you want to wear during certain, certain times in your life, and there's other gems you want to avoid. See, that's Vedic planetary gemology. Here, I'll show you real quick. Yeah. And this See, Vedic planetary gemology mm -hmm. is a whole nother, nother world. And I, I love that because I, I actually make talismans for people that are really cool. Yeah, let me see if I can find this here. Yeah. Here we go. I got to get this up. So um, Vedic planetary gemology is a lot different than your birthstone science, Vedic planetary gemology. And there is a whole procedure. See, like I literally cast the gems at a good time. A lot of people like rings and, you know, these are the appropriate fingers that you can wear as soon as it comes up. But see, rings... I don't like as much, though a lot of people do like them. You can see each finger. These are the suggested rings. And it's not your birthstone like like the Western tropical stuff. This is really much more accurate Vedic planetary gemology. I really, truly like pendants. Why? Because they hang at the heart chakra, one of the most powerful places you can wear a gem. And every breath you take passes that etheric energy by. And you could see there's a whole procedure where you cleanse them three times with spring water, you pass them above incense, pass them above a flame. And each gem has a specific angelic square known as a yantra that you charge with a mantra known as the planetary beach mantra. And it's a Sanskrit Tamil mantra that is very, very powerful in its phonetics, and it helps imbue the gem with an energy even further. The biggest thing I do is set the gem in the piece at a good astrological time to your birth chart. So I literally will create the piece. I'll, I'll cast it in a centrifuge on a really good day. Then I set each gem according to its planetary energies. Like if it's a yellow sapphire, which rules Jupiter, I want Jupiter strong in the sky and the moon to be aspecting. And if I can get the sun, it's even better. See, you'll see why do I say Jupiter? Because yellow sapphire is strengthened by wearing Jupiter. Emerald strengthens Mercury. See, Venus is diamond. The sun is always ruby. See that I'm flipping around here. The moon is pearl or moonstone. Red corals, Mars. See, blue sapphire. Saturn. These are the ancient correspondences. And the gem industry has changed this stuff several times, but it really strengthens the auric field around the body. This is actually my fingers. 
on Curly and Photography, you could see this lower picture here was before I picked up a gem. Look at here. I pick up a gem. I'm blowing it out. That's Curly and Photography. I'm telling you, they really have power, especially they must be untreated. And there's so many people out there right now scamming people with lab-grown gems. And I can tell you, they're beautiful. If you want jewelry, go buy them. But uh, you, you might as well light your money on fire if you're trying to do it for energy because it's in heat treating too. Heat treating has been going on for hundreds of years. And why? Because it darkens the color, lessens the inclusion. They sell them for more money. But it's really bad. You do not want to heat treat a gem. You do not want an irradiated gem, laser gem, oil gem. You don't want plastics in them. And you certainly don't want lab-grown gems. So all these things, you know, a lot of people are out there selling them, and they don't even know that they're selling them because they don't have the capability of testing them. So that's something I do. Uh, I, I have a, a business partner. It's amazing. Literally has... has um, supplies many jewelry stores and uh we we so i really get a chance to see what's going on in this business and i get stuff that's really high quality and untreated and i set it at a good astrological time to your specific birth chart see that's the final thing you also don't want to set a gem when it's your sixth eighth or twelfth house or there's malefic aspects to your specific birth chart because if there is, it'll have a malefic energy. It puts an, a weird energy on it for you. So it's a lot. It's a lot. And you really got to know astrology to do this stuff. And most jewelers, they're not going to set it. You know, somebody's coming in to get their watch battery replaced and they'll they'll miss the time. They'll, they won't do it. And they don't even have the astrological capability of doing it. So it's it's a whole ancient science that the kings and the queens and the emperors and the pharaohs knew. And it's it was used for throughout history. Um, it, it really, again, kind of fell out of grace in the modern industrial revolution in the 17, 1800s. So now, interesting stuff. A lot of fun. Absolutely. Now, uh, something you, you don't know about me is I wrap crystals. So I have cool. tons of crystals across my desk. And I'm wondering if we can talk about the formation of crystals themselves and maybe how the crystals planets, are amazing yeah well how the planets you know particularly influence certain crystals over others and like i have quartz on my desk what does that mean quartz i've heard is this quartz is the, the substitute stone for venus okay um but it's it's a lesser see many crystals have great energies and there's lots of books out there on them and they're they're known as substitute gems but your precious gems are the ones that are in the ancient world are the ones that are listed just like the breastplate plate of Aaron in the in the bible um those are your major gemstones and the precious gems have a far are stronger energy than the crystals and the semi-precious gems. Though they're still good, still better than nothing. Now, but uh, you'll find the, the precious gems are really the ones that have the power. Is is shape contributing to that? Because obviously, you know, raw crystals are no, not- It's the, crystal. It's the crystal itself. It's the crystal in shape in the ground. The, all the faceting is just convenient for setting it into pieces. Right. But yeah, whether it's faceted or not, it really doesn't matter. Mm. Um, what is most important is that the purity of the gem and the crystalline nature. See, again, going back to that diagram we talked about earlier, when you look at the whole molecular worlds, 
It's believed to be the literal mathematical chanting and vibrations of the angels that created all that's existent right now, even the, the universes and the amino acids and the gas clouds and the black holes and the stars and the galaxies. That's all believed to come down from the angelic um, chanting of creation. Well, the same thing in gems and crystals. And that's why I don't believe you can ever create something that has the energy that a crystal, a semi-precious or precious gem has because they're formed in the earth under very specific conditions. Like a lot of stuff comes out of volcanic heat. A lot of it doesn't. Some of it's just formed in the ground over millions of years. It's very mysterious, this whole world of crystals and gems because they form in the earth and it's believed that the angelic vibrations of of the specific types of gems vibrate through the celestial influences of the planets. And it's not frequencies and gravity. You know, it might be a frequency, and, and I do believe there are frequencies of the planets, but I think there's much more than that. I think the waves go higher than humanity has any knowledge of. And there seems to be some very, very powerful things that happen, particularly in the precious gems. That's why precious gems are so expensive, is because they're harder to get. There's less of them. Not that the crystals don't help. They're really good. But when you get into like rubies, I mean, my God, you can rubies. I've seen rubies up to three, four, seven million dollars for a pigeon blood red faceted pure ruby. Um, you can easily get hundreds of thousands of dollars a carat. Uh, the cabochons, you can get into hundreds of dollars a carat. So the prices are all over depending on the purity, like emeralds, you know, I, I've got emeralds that'll cost $800. There's also emeralds that cost $30,000 or $50,000. And that's still a low end. So it, it really comes down to clarity and trading off into what, um, what a budget is, but you don't need to spend that kind of money to get good energy. But uh, it's it's very interesting. And crystals are wonderful. You know, what's good about crystals is you can buy more of them because the more carat weight you have, you know, like people buy an amethyst or a, a quartz crystal that'll be like this, you know, and that's great because you can afford it. And the more of it you have, the better. You're not going to wear that, but... Um, that's kind of what it takes to equal the, the that's why the precious gems were so sought after is because you don't need them to be quite so large to get a very concentrated force of energy on the auric field. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes sense, you know, with all the mysticism and myths surrounding these, uh, that they would still be so highly priced and sought after. And, you know, yeah. I've learned about the De Beers company and their whole scam with diamonds. Would you consider diamonds in the same uh, respect with these other precious gems? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Diamonds are, are for Venus. I mean, here, watch. I'll show you. See, the, the only problem I have with diamonds are... Diamonds, see, if you look here on my website, anybody can go to my website, jeffharman.com, and it's got the Vedic gem correspondences. Well, what's under diamond? Venus. See, these are all the major precious gems. So diamond is by far your most preferable gem for Venus. Here's the problem with diamonds. First off, they're way overpriced. Secondly, there a lot of them are enhanced, and I'll use that word enhancement. The problem is if you alter the original 
crystalline shapes, and you can see it under a microscope really easy, you are going to affect the vibrational energy of that gem. See, that's the key. You want to take it out of the ground. You can cut it and facet it. That's fine. But the minute you start altering the crystalline nature, which will be affected by heat, irradiation, lasers, they use lasers all the time, epoxies, you know, that when you start altering the shape that the gem was originally in, the original crystalline nature, you can actually see it. It looks like melted candle wax when they alter it. And it's not good, depending on the type of tree they use they use a lot of nuclear bombardment on this stuff not good not good because you're going to affect it so i always like under diamond the only semi substitute gem i like for diamond is white sapphire white sapphires are about probably 10 of the cost of a diamond but they're like 80 of the power they're really close most substitute gems aren't that close but that one's worth it because i always tell people get a little bit more caraway but they're very powerful. And again, we know what goes on with diamonds. I mean, they got a bunch of slave labor digging them out of the ground. They they get nothing, just like Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, right? <laughs> and then they, they end up marking them up so high when they come here. So diamonds are a woman's best friend or a girl's best friend. Why? Because they strengthen Venus. And Venus is a general significator for the female energy. So it's it's a really prized gem. And, you know, diamonds, I, I can get a lot of diamonds, but they're expensive. You know, you're going to drop thousands on those. And we see a lot of these diamond store specials, and they'll tell you they're all natural, but they're probably enhanced. I'm not saying they all aren't, but they're likely to be enhanced. And... You know, there's a lot of gray areas there. And, and if you're you're buying enhanced gems, you might as well light your money on fire. It's really going to subdue the original vibration. And that's a very mysterious thing about gems. And I know I have extensively experimented with this stuff. Lab-grown gems are very dangerous because they come back. In, in gemology, we use something called a refractometer. It's a fancy term for the light refractional index reflected out of the gem spectral and what if you measure lab grown gems they come back totally natural oh that's natural gem right so but they're not see that's the chemical constituents and the refractory index of the gem that's that doesn't mean it's natural it just means it's built up out of natural chemicals that are consistent with that gem but natural means out of the earth unaltered the way the angels originally made it that's the difference and boy can you feel it so it's very dangerous. A lot of people are out there selling stuff that they claim is natural and they may not even know it. You know, the person they got it from may have said, oh, yeah, it's totally natural. Look, it still has dirt on it. And uh, they, they, they'll they get the bullions is what they're called. And they'll take it to a lapidary and start cutting things. And they won't know that it's heat treated, irradiated or lab grown because it was done right at the source. So, and then they're out there selling it, you know, because it looks beautiful, but uh, the energy may be much ado about nothing, you know, mm. or yeah. very weak. And you know, so the crystals are great too, but they need a lot more of them in order to get even close to what the precious gems do. Yeah. And I, I don't know how this, uh, how accurate my statement is on computers, but I, I think there are quartz components to most computers. And, you bet um, there is. But yeah. You bet quartz is used for timing in crystals. Right. So 
you know, exactly right. when it comes to these supercomputers and these machines that certain people are fearing, you know, the AI and whatnot coming through these machines, you think there's a certain aspect of these computers on a gem level that they could maybe facilitate something like that, influence from planet or maybe like a, a god, uh, maybe lower f influence from, you know, the lower spheres. In f certain authors' books, they cite uh. the computer age starting around the same time as the Trinity nuclear tests. And some people mm. think that that in conjunction with the Philadelphia experiment opened up some kind of rift, right? And I'm wondering if there are astrological forces or planetary forces that could contribute to that sort of thing. Maybe the computer side of it doesn't really matter so much as, you know, it seems like humans are interfacing with something interdimensional, aliens and UFOs mm -hmm. and whatnot mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. seem to have their origin in that time period, you know, almost a hundred years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know what you're driving at. I mean, I don't know how to answer that. The only thing I can say is that uh, the stuff that's coming out of the ground sure seems to match like yellow sapphire. Uh, really, when you look at Jupiter, you look at the glyph of Jupiter, it's the crescent of the moon over the cross. It's like a divine parabolical dish scooping up the energy and concretizing it. Well, look at Jupiter. It's the largest planet in the solar system. Then, you know, I always said, well, how could yellow sapphire be correspondent to Jupiter? But you put it on and all of a sudden you feel happy. You feel like the sun comes out. It's, it's very relaxing. It's also said to help the immune system and the liver because Jupiter rules the liver. So, and again, this isn't my innovation. This is stuff that you can find in texts way back, particularly in the Vedantic literature, the Hebrew literature and the Aramaic and the Greek and the Egyptian. So, the, and there's truth to it. My opinion is it really does matter. And I've had a lot of people who get involved in certain healing professions like Reiki and Qigong and, you know, that kind of Ayurveda who, who just swear by them. And I've had psychics that I've double blind tested. Like, hey, what do you think of this? Wow. feels like the sun comes out. I had a ruby. Oh, that's powerful. It feels like, you know strong. Well, it's ruby. It's the sun, see? Or, or I'll hand them blue sapphire. What do you think of that? Well, it feels very stoic, very serious, very, you know, very solid. Well, there's Saturn, see? Blue sapphire. So these correspondences, whoever came up with them, and I really believe that um, the rabbinical texts lay it really pretty clear. So did the Vedantics. They literally say that the angels or deities, we call them angels in the West, they call them deities in the Vedantic and the Eastern stuff, said that they were communicated this information. And um, my opinion is they're right. And uh, I, I can tell by the responses I get from doing this for years that people tell me I can really feel it. And, um, you know, I don't want to get in the jewelry business. I don't want to own stock and all that stuff. So I don't want that headache. But I love creating talismans for people and then getting these gems at wholesale that are really pure and, and uh, making this stuff for people. And then also educating them how they can charge it. I give them the mantras and the instructions and the what we call angelic squares called yantras there's one yantra or angelic square for each separate gem and when you charge it on there 
the idea is the mathematics focus the energy and then the mantra you say and project intentions, requests and, and desires. And I think the thing you were alluding to before is, is there something about crystals that are programmable? And the answer seems to be yes. In fact, it was believed that the crystals actually can contain some scars or thought form elementals. And there's even ancient lore that the crystal could be imbued with certain angelic forces and energies. And there was all kinds of very detailed stuff to make that happen. And some of it I wasn't too pleased with because that can also be used for nefarious purposes, which I do not want any part of. But for people who are well-intended that do sacred, you know, chants and prayers over gems, they'll find that they they can really bring a, a wonderful energy. And uh, I, I can tell you that uh, I have had the the long exposure to this and, and absolutely agree to it. And that's why I've had so many people call me back. And even the ones that said, you know, geez, I had the money. I didn't know if it would work. And then they'll call me back and say, you know what? I've been wearing this six months. I can really feel the difference. And that's been my experience too. Mm. It's been my experience. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with that in mind, is there something uh, I or someone listening could do to clear the elementals out of the quartz in my computer or my watch or uh, any technological device? I mean, what what kind of uh, ritual might need to be done in that case? Well, I, I wouldn't suggest cleansing your computer chip. You're going to probably the, the way you're supposed to do a gem is to cleanse it three times with spring water over a uh, bowl, not over a sink and use pure water like spring water. Right. Most people don't have a bubbling spring in their backyard, so you can use bottled spring water and then you pass it through incense three times. Either something like frankincense or Nag Champa has a very high vibration. See, even incense has a vibration. There's a sacredness to frankincense and Nag Champa that has a vibrational energy. And then you pass it above a flame three times. And then if you know what gem it is, there's an angelic square that you can place it on and you can do a prayer to purify it. Um, there's actually very specific mantras for each gem uh, that you want to use. They're called seed mantras or beach mantras. But um Oh, on one that really works well for anyone who's you know, more Western, you could definitely do Psalm 91 over it. That That's one that's extremely powerful. Uh, Psalm 40 is extremely powerful to exercise spiritual demonic energy. It's very, very powerful. There's the, see, that's called Tehillim in the Hebrew, which means the Psalms, the method of the Psalms. It's actually called the Shemush Tehillim. It's really a shame what happened with the biblical uh, documents that were originally there. Um, you know, many people are familiar with Judaism may know about the Torah. The Torah is the Old Testament, but there are secrets upon secrets upon secrets in it. There's codes and ciphers and cryptology that you pass a lot of the scripture through. And it's quite profound. Same thing with the Psalms. The Psalms may be some of the oldest documents we know of. The, the, they claim Psalm 91 is pushing 4,000 years old. It, it might be somewhere between 15 and 1800 BC 
And that's the best anyone can get to. It certainly isn't my determination, but I've heard scholars say that that's likely to be somewhere in that area when it was written. And these Psalms originally uh, had the Aramaic and Hebrew where there was cryptology that you'd pass through ciphers. There's actually 22 of them in the Atbash and ciphers. And then you have Tamira and Gamatria. There's all this in Zeroff is another. These are all very complex codes that the scripture was passed through. And the Psalms are exceedingly powerful. See, if anyone's familiar with the keys of Solomon, which is very dangerous stuff, it's all to do with Exodus and much of the old magical lore. Very dangerous stuff to play with. A lot of secret societies do. But the Psalms are really a blessed way to purify this stuff. And there's great secrets to them. And what they did is they smacked the Psalms between the New and the Old Testament, and they took all the codes out. They took all the ciphers and codes and references and purposes out. And you could still get that in something called the Shemush Tehillim. But that's a very closely guarded secret. And for some reason, the only one that was decent in English, even though there was a few mistakes, um, was lost during COVID. And that was a guy named Fabrizio, I forget his last name, um, Lanza or Lanza or something. He was out of Italy and he had done an English version of it and um, the really profound stuff. And unless you're a Hebrew scholar, you're not going to really get into the older stuff that is still extant. Uh, but th this is that could be used to purify gems and purify a home, too. I often have, when I do elections for people to move into a new home, there's certain psalms I give them that will clear the house. It's just really, really cool. And anybody can do that. So, you know, it's it's an addition to smudging, if you will. You know? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. I appreciate you, yeah. you sharing. Yeah, clearing people in places is deep stuff. And that's where astrology can really be valuable and clearing properties and clearing people. And, um, you know, a lot of times... There's very mysterious things that go on that often have to do with disincarnate souls, uh, spirit. You know, we call them ghosts, but that's really what they are: disincarnate wandering souls. They call them imbures in the Hebrew. And there's entities and stuff. This there's no time. I mean, when you get in the astral worlds, there's no time. Go to my YouTube channel, Jeff Harmon, astrologer, astrology, and you'll see. There's some really decent books that that cover just the, kind of an introductory to this stuff. One of them is called The Magus of Strovolos, which is about a healer who lived in the city of Strovolos. And he talks a lot about this kind of stuff in the astral dimensions. And there's many other books like 30 Years Among the Dead. And I just mentioned earlier the Shari HaGilgum, which is profound, profound stuff. So, um, you know, again, this stuff we can talk all day about it, but it's uh, the, the, one of the things the religions have failed us on. And not that there isn't some great truths in religions and some really good people. But I think the fault lies in the ancient uh, you know, documents that were thwarted. You know, you just look at Rome alone. They thwarted the Nagamati Library. They've thwarted so much stuff, threw so much stuff out. These were the bearded men that were murdering each other at all these different councils for the first three to five centuries. You know, so it's really, really a shame what's been altered and lost. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it should be obvious to listeners by now how uh, important timing is and, and how history repeats itself. I do want to ask you before we start to wrap up here, Jeff, uh, how accurate do you think the yuga cycle is and, and uh, what, where exactly in the yuga cycle are we? Because I've heard it, you know, compared to other civilizations, sort of uh, gold to silver to bronze to lead, you know, and it's kind of That's a right. common motif. Yeah, yeah, well, the yugas are profound. Found. They really are. The problem is, is nobody can agree upon them. Like many astrologers are running around right now making a proclamation that we are absolutely in the Aquarian age. And I'm like, I don't think so. Um, we had a tropical Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius, but that's not the Aquarian age. Um, you know, that's procession. The yugas are really profound. And I've heard several different people have several different opinions. Um, I, my personal feelings, we're in a, a the Kali Yuga still, um, but we're in kind of a dark place in a light time. I, I think it's going to shift if if the reference points that I'm using, or or at least believing is true, because all of us have to be humble here and say, you know, there's a lot of different opinions out there. There's no special mile marker out there in space that says you've entered Aquarius or you've entered the Tetra Yuga or the Kali Yuga or any other Yuga. And that's the problem. I've seen so many different opinions. Um, I, I really think we might be in a you know, a tetra that's a dark spot in Kali that's going to end somewhere around where the Hebrew calendar runs out. And that might be the so-called Aquarian age everyone's looking for. And I hope that happens. I wish it would happen tomorrow. But um, I think it has a lot to do with the waves of souls coming through. And this gets into the angularity of the earth. And even if you're a flat earther, we do have the uh, angularity of the celestial influences of the moon, the eclipses, and all that with the moon's north and south. No, it's very mysterious stuff there. And um, I can tell you that I believe the axis will alter when a certain amount of souls have come through here. And, you know, there's so many opinions out there right now about, you know, well, it's a flat earth or it's this or it's that. And, you know, I don't want to get into all that because everybody will argue about what they believe is to be right. Um, and I'm not sitting here making any proclamations, but I really think the nodes in they're called Rahu and Ketu. Western astrologers call them the North and South nodes, have a huge influence on a wave of souls that seems to be coming through here for the last few thousand years. And I think once that completes, that's tied to the yugas. And I also think it's tied to procession. The earth seems to be like a big grounding rod. And if you're familiar with capacitors, we're all like capacitors. We all have this etheric soul root energy that's attached to the souls that we are. And the astrology may just be the reality of time playing out through the matrix of astrology. Because everyone exits this body when the naughty astrology shows the alignments with the eclipse points over Saturn, Jupiter, Mars. When all those start lining up with the right progressions and transits, we're out of here. We exit these meat suits called bodies. And I, I really have to say, naughty astrology might just be the matrix. It is 
really pretty profound. It's very complex. And then no one fully understands it, including myself, but it's pretty amazing. Like you can see a lot of the karmic paths. You can see a lot about parents and children, if you have or don't. And it's really wild stuff and very deep and very complex. So it really shows, you know, again, back to the yugas that I think we have waves of souls that come through here. And I really believe that the history of this planet is a lot different than what the history books say. And there's a lot of people that agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had a lot of them on this show and uh, the story is ever expanding. It doesn't seem mm -hmm. to, and I've heard one doctor, uh, professor Richard Spence have uh, the opinion that it's like a puzzle piece that uh, seems to have no corners. And then as you put the puzzle pieces together, you realize the whole puzzle has no corners and it's just expanding and expanding. And uh, yeah, you could piece it together, but you don't know when it ends. And I'm curious, yep. based on your comment about the earth being a grounding rod, have you looked into hmm. the Tycho Brahe model of the geocentric earth? And because and, in yeah. that model, it, it certainly plays the role of a sort of grounding yep. planet, keeping the rest of it together. I, I mean, it, everything points to, especially in the ancient. See, in order to really fully understand Vedic astrology, you have to not just look at astrology. You have to look at the path of the soul. See, that's the missing link in modern astrology. We're souls having a physical experience. You take that out of the equation, you just start calling everyone sun signs in their astrology. It's love, light and cluelessness. It doesn't fit. You know, look in everybody's eyes. Nobody's the same. Everyone comes from a soul root. This is what the Sharia Gilgam and many ancient texts talk about. So the astrology truly is a matrix where I think the upper, it's above Yetzirah. They actually say the Briatic area. That's the diagram I showed before. And there's many different opinions on this. But my, my personal feeling at this time is that the stars in the heavens are literally portals that's why they're so bright and black holes may be reverse portals there's all kinds of theories about this but you know many scientists are saying well you know maybe it's not so nuclear all the sun and the stars and all the spectral energy well maybe it's not maybe it's much more than that one thing's for sure you take the sun away and not only are you going to freeze but all life on this planet is sustained, not just vitamin D, but there is etheric energy coming through these stars that are right. stunning. I mean, if you start just looking at interrogation astrology and electional astrology, just check out the fixed stars aspect, which is way beyond sun sign and, you know, Virgos and all that stuff. When you start looking Looking at the celestial sun sign stuff, it'll blow your hair back um, with with the fixed stars. That's that's my point. The fixed stars are all the suns. And um, this is where the lunar zodiac in Vedic astrology, also known as the nakshatras, uh, ties in with this whole sidereal system. And the Egyptians had it, too. They had a 28 uh lunar mansion so it's really amazing stuff and i guess where i'm going with all this is it's really a celestial matrix and i believe the planets are tied there's something very sacred going on on earth it's like a literally i call it the soul cauldron it's like we enter into this reality structure of time there is no time i mean it's a celestial matrix i mean every day the rotation of the earth 
is a perceived reality of a day, right? You have sunrise, noon, sunset, midnight. You also have the lunations and you have the yearly cycles. If you put us on a different reality structure or different astronomical you know, planet, you'd have a totally different reference point. This is why that lower conscious mind called the Nefesh is a reality portal that we're operating through in these bodies. And when you think about it, the conscious mind is like the keyboard, the mouse and the screen, you know, in and out or the steering wheel, the gas pedal and the brakes, you know, so in the shifter. So it's how we're comporting into this reality. But there's no time. You know, you, you talk to uh, various studies and, and disincarnate souls that they don't even know they're dead. A lot of them, they're trapped in the lower astral. And the religions have done little to educate people about this before they die so that there's even further bewildered, you know, and and then they possess people and things and all kind of Sharia Gilgam. This is stuff, you know, I'm not making up. This is actually some very, very knowledgeable, ancient stuff about the soul. And the earth seems to be a place where spirit can manifest into this lower, dense reality that we know and i think there's a lot of other realities that are on different planes on different planets and many it's right in the solar system it's believed so um very interesting and very deep stuff a lot, there's a lot of doors uh in in the front and the back of this dimension i'll tell you that mm, yeah absolutely i mentioned uh the tycos model i sent you a link in the chat in case you're mm. curious of going further on that but uh, it also oh, I, i'm familiar with that tycho brahe this is great stuff yeah and and there's there's all kinds of secret zodiacs too and and you you're looking at some really different viewpoints on astrology there's a lot of different secret zodiacs mm. using different fixed stars too yeah, one. Well, I, I agree with you there. I wanted to ask you about that uh, before we wrapped up, but I do want to also mention that to your point about the the sun not being just some burning, you know, torch in the sky. You know, <laughs> yeah. while Thornhill put the uh, I think the Electromagnetic Universe book out some time ago, and that just seems to fit right in line with everything you've talked about tonight. So I'm sure you're already familiar with all of that, but it, you know, for the, well, I mean, I don't know everything either, but I, I can tell you <laughs> something very sacred is going right. on, on this right. planet, right. very sacred. And we seem to be knocked out for the most part, though we all will wake up sooner or later. Mm -hmm. The only thing that seems to thwart the soul and get trapped completely is when people start doing black magic and all this horrible stuff that's very demonic, you can actually lose the soul. Right. And, uh, and I think it, that's one of the reasons there's so much temptation in those areas. Right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, very spooky subject when you start thinking about guys like John D and how he may have uh, let these sort of beings in and then the Philadelphia experiment yeah. somehow connects to that I've recently yeah, Nokia magic's pretty dangerous stuff yeah. those watchtowers and everything yeah you bet and there's a lot of goetic magic that's really dangerous too mm -hmm. once you start dialing these goetic spirits address you, you, you now gave them the opening 
See, the other way around was the, the true ascended masters would purify the soul. And this is what the Tibetan lamas and many of the ancient rabbis and many of the rishis in India and Egypt knew that if you purify the soul, upper angels will be able to get into the consciousness that we, we don't even relate to for the most part because we're so programmed down here in this lower left brain world. You know, look at IQ tests. The more you put in that brain, the smarter you are. Well, that's not wisdom. That's just your ability to retain and regurgitate knowledge. Now, I know I'll get a rash of crap about that. But on the other hand, yeah, it is an indication of intelligence for sure. But on the other hand, wisdom and understanding the sacred tenets of what's really going on in this universe is a whole bunch smarter than we're ever going to be with any test. And um, that's that's what I, I think there's all kinds of examples of people doing things that were very mysterious that physically could not be done, like moving multi-ton rocks with hands. And you, you look at some of the ancient stuff that came out of Chaldea and Egypt about this. Um, Rabbi Maharil was one. He penned uh, uh, some very interesting texts. And um, all this is about the upper angels allowing humans who got past the lower egoic stuff to have these mystical powers. And it was always secrets of controlling the fourth hierarchy, which is the demonic spirits, you know, pretty deep stuff. Right, right. And no amount of intellectual intelligence, I don't care how smart we all think we are, you ain't going to figure this out. Not a chance. Because it's beyond the intellectual capability of the lower conscious mind. Divinity is way more complex than I'm, I or anyone else will ever figure out. And the more you see the ones who talk about this, they have such great humility and reverence for that angelic hierarchical intelligence because it's pretty 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 stunning wow profound well said thank you jeff for for sharing uh this and and everything you've said tonight a lot of it is has been new to me and i'm very appreciative of this great lesson now before well we... i mean i'm not here to teach anybody anything but it's fun stuff to get aware well, of hey that's we... Yeah, that's why i invite folks like you on the show to learn you know maybe i'm i'm learning uh all of this stuff well, we all are listeners we all are. are too yeah it's i'm not alone here so we all yeah, the, the, yeah the religions have have got great truths in them but they also have been you know politicized mm. and dogmatized by egoic people who were interested in controlling the populace and the original documents were thwarted right and they were twisted and i believe it was the spirits that did that throughout history and it's actually said so in many of the documents Right. Now, these sort of uh, lower fourth hierarchy spirits, you mean, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're intertwined in everything. Yeah. That's the smartest thing they ever do is convince us they didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've heard that phrase before, definitely. And, and it definitely makes us want to learn uh, as much as we can about where the best place to live, uh, the best timing for, you know, certain... Mm -hmm health practices and so on i mean all these things that we've covered throughout this conversation where can people go to get in touch with you i know you have readings that you give for folks in a yeah. variety of yeah. ways so how can people get in touch with you to to 
to well the best services. place is my website jeff at jeffharman.com it's h-a-r-m-a-n.com and then also you can watch some of the videos we've been putting out on the youtube and we're actually working on a show right now that might be coming up pretty soon as soon as we get it all worked out but um yeah the the jeff at jeffharman.com is the best place and then uh I, I do reading. Zoom has really been so amazing with astrology because now you can make a movie of everything. And I, I send people booklets in the mail, but the Zoom sessions are just amazing because you get to see everything I'm looking at. You get to see your maps. You get to see the correct gems. You get to see your cycles, like the cycles in Vedic astrology alone, as well as in the ancient traditional astrology is really amazing. It really is. I'm I'm always stunned at just how accurate they are. Again, I was a skeptic back in the 70s. You know, I mean, I grew up in northern Wisconsin. It was like Dukes of Hazard up there. You know, I think I drove semis before I drove cars. And uh, it, it, I just didn't think any of this stuff was real. And then, the, you know, because you always program, well, doctor in the delivery room has more gravity than Saturn, right? And then you start realizing the ancient stuff isn't, isn't talking about gravity. And it's pretty amazing. It really is. I mean, you, you even if you don't believe it, it really gives you good insight and direction towards the cycles you're in. And that's what I like is, you know, rational deductive reasoning oftentimes in thinking positive is not always the answer, though I think it's good, the self-help gurus and all that. But what's nice is to get a little bit of a roadmap to where your peaks and valleys are. And that's what's really interesting about the progressions and transits and doshas, and especially the naughty astrology, too. It's really cool. Really cool stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And I really hope that folks listening reach out to you at Jeff at jeffharman.com. I'll be reaching out to you. I was curious ah. earlier about, you know, which gemstone would be right oh, for, yeah, yeah. for me. I've heard opal for Libras. But you can't trust these online. Yeah, that's stuff. the sun sign stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, you really, that's what I love about Vedic planetary gemology and Nadi astrology. You really see the yogas that are in each person's chart. And it's just a, a whole different reference point. And it's, it's, in my opinion, much more accurate. It really is. Wonderful. Well, Jeff, yeah. this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us here on the My Family Thinks. Oh, yeah, mine podcast. too. And uh, for folks tuning in, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Big shout out to our guest, Jeff Harmon. You can go to jeffharmon.com or email him, jeff at jeffharmon.com. Get in touch with him, get a reading, find out what your gemstone or which gemstone is best for you. I've got so many gemstones, even if I knew, uh, I still wouldn't pick just one but yeah probably take jeff up on that and uh see what he has to say anyways we've got a bunch of new people who signed up on the patreon thank you so much to everybody who signed up on the patreon sean big daddy jojo lila tm chris latham master chef chad warren jan garrett James, Rex, Queenie, Peter, Jennifer. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Welcome to the family. 
If you'd like to get every episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast without ad breaks, uncensored, and of course, early, go over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. You can also go to Rockfin and get all the video content. I recently learned that Rockfin is not $9 a month, it's $15 a month. Uh, that's interesting. I didn't realize I was paying that much for Rockfin, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm grandfathered in. I think I'm still being charged $9 a month, but I guess people who uh, sign up now uh, have to pay more than $9. So anyways, we also have a Substack, so you can sign up on the Substack for $8 a month and you get hopefully all the videos um, it takes quite a while to upload videos to Substack, but I am going to start uploading the new episodes to Substack. So uh, maybe one day I'll get around to uploading the backlog. But either way, if you don't like Rockfin for whatever reason, you can support me directly on Substack or Patreon and get the video content. It's not all there, but I will be sure to clone it with Rockfin so that it's exactly the same as what's on Rockfin at the very least. So anyways, thank you so much folks for for bearing with us here in the outros. I want to bring some more interesting stuff to the outros so they're not just me uh, talking about ways to support the show. Um, I'm reading a book right now american metaphysical religion i should be interviewing uh, the author tomorrow talks about a gentleman named tom morton who was the first person in american history to tell a dick joke he was also the first person in american history or america's first falconer although i think there are native americans out in the west that falconry but i don't know who knows so yeah marymount thomas morton we're gonna be talking about thomas harriet we're gonna be talking about turtle island the red scarlet a bunch of really interesting stuff that's been hidden in america's history that'll be out uh, within this next month of course you can sign up on the patreon and get all of that as soon as I'm done recording, I'm going to be working on getting all the Patreon episodes up. And we also have a very special series of interviews with Native American elder Lauren W. Jeffries. He's written a book about the Mayan sacred long count. And uh, yeah, we had some really amazing discussions, continuing discussions. We should be talking again this week. Uh, and he's kind enough to let me record them and some of which is going to be available only on Patreon just due to the nature of what we're discussing. So if that interests you, sign up on the Patreon. Uh, another reason to sign up, friends, on this amazing podcast's Patreon. We've got so much going on and I can't keep pumping out the amazing content that I am without your help. So don't be shy. Join over on the $5 tier today and get everything uh, and more if you sign up for the higher tiers. But anyways, big shout out to our one and only 
ongoing sponsor, The Hit Kit. Shout out to The Hit Kit. I have several hit kits. I bring them with me anytime I leave the house, especially if I'm going on a road trip or if I'm just going on a hike or, you know, where I like to go uh, typically depends on what's going on that week. But usually, no matter where I'm going, you can guarantee I'm probably going to be smoking some weed at some point in the day. So I keep everything safe and sound in the hit kit. I don't have to bring all my uh, equipment with me anymore to roll up. Uh, I keep it in the hit kit. I roll it before I leave the house, roll up a few blunts, put it in the hit kit, and take it on the road wherever we go. So if you do stuff like that, maybe you should check out Hit Kit. Go to hitkit.us. And uh, that's it for today. Shout out to Garrett, the owner and creator of the hit kit, who basically not only supports the show through this awesome sponsorship, but sent me a custom-made hit kit and signed up for the Patreon. So, uh, big shout-out to him. Hell of a guy. He's even uh, recommended some really interesting books and sent me a book. Uh, or at least he's recommended the topic of Neanderthals. And, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Hopefully we can get a guest on the show talk about this the book is titled them and us and it's uh it's about neanderthals possibly being certain races of people not races but ethnicities of people um maybe sasquatch i mean i don't know i haven't really looked into it that deeply but it's an interesting it's an interesting theory and uh yeah garrett's really amped about it so We'll be talking about that at some point in the future on the podcast, but I've already said enough. Go to the Patreon or the Substack to check out uh, more. And until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on ya Subliminal messages hijack your perception Tricking the population with holographic projections We see through it The system is unraveling I'm astral traveling Through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey I embark with the squad Forever spitting truth like Mark on the pod Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are 
We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade I awoke in a deep underground military base Zero recollection of how I got to this place Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders Must have been extracted when they crashed into us Animal hybrids contained in the cages A lion with the eagle head Monkeys with reptilian faces Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit All of a sudden the wall flickers away Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft My getaway I run to the nearest one See a guard knock him out Robbing for his plasma gun Hop in the ship Take the controls they highly intuitive, I figure it out easily Lift off, accelerate through a tunnel until I see the light Fly into the sky, get flanked by six F-35s facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers, searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, it's no measure of health To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are we the ones who gonna expose the whole facade.